Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line Podcast and in this episode I'm going to focus on marathon pacing and this one will be kind of specific in a way to the Dublin Marathon, actually it'll suit all marathons but we're going to talk a little bit about the Mar- the Dublin Marathon course. So my guest today is Alex O'Shea. Alex has paced 3-hour marathon, 3.15 and 3.30. He has paced marathons in Cork, London, Dublin, Longford, Waterford, Wexford. Aside from that, he's also represented Ireland at European and World Championship level in the 24-hour race and 100k on five occasions. And now that I think back, I was actually there for his first international cap back in 2016. That was the 100km World Championships in Alcazares. I was Alex Alex's crew on that day. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the marathon pacing and the strategy that you might apply on the day and also if you want to uh, use one of the pacers that are supplied by Dublin Marathon and because I mentioned that Alex has paced quite a few marathons a lot of marathons seem to use pacers uh, to help athletes uh, get around in what will be their, their goal time and maybe in some cases try and achieve a PB. So Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, John. Now, before Good I go, to yeah, before I go any further, I, I was just saying to you that there's nearly too much for us to talk about because aside from all I've mentioned, you're recently back from this part Athlon. You've done that three times. You have also yeah. done the Lake Bacal Marathon in Siberia, which is on uh, the largest freshwater lake in the world. And I think that's two or three meter tick of ice. Is the the black ice, isn't that right? Black ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And very, very different marathon. Yeah, and you're also preparing for another Arctic event. So before we go into the marathon pacing, uh, since you started pacing marathons, has that helped you with your own racing? Um, I suppose I kind of fell into pacing marathons because obviously I had a few marathons under my belt and they were kind of looking for people to help out. Um, you know, it's it's usually rewarding. And for me, I suppose it's a long training run um, as you kind of strive to do some other event. Um, but I suppose you get to see the marathon from within and you get to see people uh, differently. You get, to, you get to experience your marathon event very differently because obviously if I'm pacing a three-hour marathon or any of my colleagues, we all have to be capable of running, you know, far quicker than that. So we're able to talk to people, we're able to think about things, we're not getting the brain fog that, you know, someone that's trying to run their best marathon, you know, they're in a position where all they can do is breathe and run. And, the you know, the logistics are kind of, um, they're done for them. So we'll we'll time them and we'll pace them and we'll encourage them. And we'll talk to them and we'll get a sense of their ability. Um, some people we know that we'll lose and some people we know that we'll be able to push on at a certain point. And just to mention as well, when, when you're pacing the three-hour marathon, three, breaking three hours is a big target for a lot of club runners. And your PB is 2.34.28, if I'm not mistaken. So that's the kind of... Uh, comfort factor that you want to be allowing you should the pacer i think should be able to run maybe 20 15 20 minutes faster than the, than the race that are pacing or if someone's very experienced maybe they get away with a bit less maybe around 10 minutes but 
You have to, yeah, you have to be comfortable. Like my theory would be, you you don't do two new things at the same time. So you you don't go looking to pace a race and also get a PB yourself. So you have to be running well within yourself. Was I right there with your PB? Uh, yeah, just a few seconds out, I think. Um, but yeah, it's there thereabouts. Um, when, when you ran that race, so you wouldn't have the luxury of having a pacer. I think the the fastest pacing slot in any of the races would be three hours. So when you were doing the, you're going for your PB 234, you wouldn't have been using a pacer. But would you be pacing yourself or would you be racing to get that time? Um, ironically, at that stage when I was lining up for a marathon, I was, you know, down to a couple of minutes you you'd you'd be so you'd be so finely tuned that you'd have your finish time fairly accurate. You you definitely knew within a few minutes. Um, that marathon was a little bit different because I was at a wedding the night before, and you know none of the planning was was properly done. In the sense, I broke all the rules. I was at a wedding, I was out dancing, I got about four hours sleep, I hopped on the air coach from Cork to Dublin, I met somebody um, in my running club who handed me my race number. Um, the only thing that went well for me was because I was representing the club, uh, we were able to line up behind the elites, so we were kind of like running for the clubs, um, so we kind of, we got onto the start line, you know, very far up and we had you supported who's at the top and so we got a very clean start and I had I had no apprehension I didn't know what time I would do I knew I was part of the team and I knew I would try my best given given everything the wedding and everything in the lead up I didn't have the nerves and the anxiety that you may have on a big occasion and ironically I went out and performed my best I remember seeing you on that day near RTE. You had to come down from Foster's Avenue and you you didn't look too happy. And I was actually surprised then to hear the time that you're done because I, I thought that you were ready to, to collapse with the effort you're putting in. So that was, that was a, a heroic effort that day. Like So I didn't know the background to it, but that was some run you had. Yeah, like I, I started off, I started off kind of going for a strong pace and obviously there was a few small hiccups along the way but nothing major and I managed to kind of hold the pace pretty much throughout uh, which surprised me I kind of thought look I'll, I'll, I'll start strong and I'll go for it and maybe I'll fall off in the latter stage but I'll give it a good go because it's for the team and yeah it just I think you know the support that it was a big marathon there's a lot of support in Dublin um, it was my first Dublin, so I think every, everything fed into a positive experience once I got there, and a big thing was I didn't have the nerves and the pressure to do well. I suppose I had an excuse in the back of my head. If I didn't do well, sure, I was out of wedding. Perfect. Now, we're very close to the Dublin Marathon again this year. Can you talk us through the setup in Dublin with the Pacers? I know you're not pacing it this year, but you have done it a few times. There's a lot of people out there who will be maybe running the first marathon or targeting one of the times that the Pacers might be running at. Yeah, just to correct you there, I've never, I've never actually paced. Oh, I, I paced didn't a, know that. I, no, I paced a lot of marathons 
in Ireland. I've I've raced Dublin a few times, but never paced it. Right. Okay. But I know a lot of. I would have paced with a lot of the lads and women that are pacing it. Right. And the last um, the last time I was actually talking to you was over in London. We we met yeah. at the Expo in London, and you were getting ready to pace the London Marathon. So again, why yeah. the experience? So you do know the setup in Dublin. So give us a rundown on it. How will somebody find the pacers? The pacers are all, you know, they're always denoted by, you know, depending on different races. You'll have some races will uh, use a balloon, some will use a flag system, but they're all, they're all numbered and corralled. So they're, they're very easy to find in the start. But I suppose the biggest thing is, you know, you can't outrun your training. You can have a, you can have a bad lead up to an event like when I said I had a wedding the night before, but I still had the training done to get the performance that I got. So, like what I'd say to people is, you have to be realistic with your expectations. Like a pacer can offer an awful lot of assistance, and it can it can give you a lot of confidence at the right time to push on. And sometimes a person just needs that bit of confidence. Um, but if you don't have the work done, don't try to overachieve. You can't, you can't outrun your training is the biggest thing. Um, the, pace, the pacers will know the course. Um, you know, like a popular question that the people will always ask a pacer is, you know, do you run exactly the same pace every mile? That was my next question for you, yeah. As a pacer, would you be doing an even pace or would you try and bank time at the start of the race? I suppose that the the best way of answering it is a pacer will try to maintain an even effort. So if we encounter an uphill like Cork Marathon I'd know the best uh, living in Cork and I know there's one or you know there's a section where you're on a road and you have to go up onto an overpass. So we have a very short, steep climb. And I tell my group, whichever group I have with me, I tell them, this is now the easiest part of the course. And I slow them down and I get them to drop the arms. I make sure they're breathing properly. And I deliberately get them to really slow that section. And because if you put in too much effort, you it's effort you don't get back. You bring up, you bring up their body temperature, you bring up their exertion, you increase their exhaustion levels. And they come off the top exhausted. And for what? Because you maintained an even pace. So by slowing them down on any slight uphill and increasing very slightly, as you naturally do on a downhill, you can even out the curve and you can maintain an even effort while not increasing the body temperature, the exertion levels. So you can, you know, you have to treat the body as an engine. If you drive it hard, there's consequences. Now, so the, you kind of. Sorry, go ahead, Alex. I, was, I thought you were still. I was yeah, interrupting you, you just, you just, you just want to maintain, you know, an even effort. So, like, if you drive your car at, you know, an even speed, your fuel consumption is better. So our energy levels in the body are better if we perform at a certain level. If you push beyond that, you can you can get away with it to a point, but you will go into exhaustion. You will go into oxygen. You know you deprive yourself of oxygen because you're just burning it so quick. So, you know, these are things you have to be aware. So, like, when you push someone in America, you push them near the end. When they see the finish line, they get, you know, they get the the sense of energy that they're nearly finished and they can find this reserve. But you can't go into that reserve in the first half of a marathon because you won't have it 
in the second half and you'll hit a wall or you'll cramp or you'll, you'll bring on other issues and other complications. But what about the start of the race when it's very congested? Say if I was after lining up behind you at the start of the Dublin Marathon, the gun goes off and as the crowd starts to move, I start to fall back a bit and I'm then having to run around other runners trying to get get back to you. Would you have yeah. any advice there? Um, yeah, every every race gets a bit congested. Um, you'll also get people that will just go out far too quick. You'll get people that are lining up in the marathon as if they're running a 5K. Um, you know, it's grand for the elites up the front. They're taking off at a phenomenal speed. They've trained for it. As the race goes back, you'll see people taking off really fast. And that's just the adrenaline. That's because they've spent the last week being told taper, taper, taper and not train and they've had all this time in their hands and they've a build-up of nervous energy when they're on the start line. So when the gun goes, if you go off too fast, yes, there can be a slight advantage that you get clear road or you get a good position, but again, you're suddenly bringing up the energy level to a point where you're burning more fuel, you're generating more heat in the body, you're risking injury, you know, a slow start, you know, it can be a tortoise and hare event. You know, a slow, a slow, steady start and find your position in the race and build can be the safer option. Do you think that the start of the race is probably the most important part of it to get that right? You definitely you definitely have to find your rhythm. And that's that's why pacers can help you an awful lot because they're not getting caught up in the euphoria of this nervous energy. Like to most of the pacers, it's it's just another Sunday run. They would have been at home doing you know a Sunday or Saturday long run, and this is what this event to them is. Um, so they will dampen you down when you need to be held back. They will encourage you to speed up when you need to speed up. Um, like another thing you have to remember, like if I'm pacing a three-hour marathon, my my brief, depending on which marathon, some marathons will tell you you can be anything up to 59 seconds under the three-hour. So my brief is any to cross the line in 259.01. And by doing that, I tell my group as I'm running that I'm targeting a 259 marathon. And that way, if you see me crossing that finish line, you still have the hope of getting in at a three-hour marathon. And that means that we can encourage the people that are slightly faster in our group to break the three-hour. And we can encourage people that are slightly falling off the group. If they can still see that balloon, they can still get to the finish line in three. So it gives us a wider range of people we can help to, to get the most people across the line in the targeted time. And just as you mentioned that, I think something for runners to be aware of is the chip timing. And if you have started a bit of a distance ahead of the pacers and the pacer then catches up with you, you might have crossed the start line maybe a minute before, a minute or more before the pacer actually catches you. So there is a bit of personal responsibility to it as well. Oh, like if you look at London Marathon, there's three different start lines. There's multiple waves. Um, so like the red meets the blue meets the green at all different parts of the course. They all have their own pacers. So I think it was 3.15 I paced in London. 
So you would have had 315 pacers on each of the start lines in different locations. So if you encountered me somewhere in the race, I had to tell you when you were when you kind of fell back and started running with me, I had to tell you that now my pacing time may have no relevance on your marathon because you started in a different location at a different time. So the pacer, as you rightly pointed out, the pacer's relevance is if you started with them or if the marathon is small enough that you've started, you know, reasonably close to them. But certainly the bigger marathons like London and, you know, your bigger marathons with different starting waves, it's uh, something to consider. And London is quite a busy event and Dublin is actually getting very busy as well. It must be also difficult for the pacer to manage that first few kilometres or, or miles and to be on pace. Has it often happened to you that you would be a bit down on your time when you yeah. maybe reach the second mile? Um, like London this year, I technically failed. I was 3.15 uh, was my target and I went 3.15, 16 seconds over or something, uh, which is technically a fail. You have to hit your time and under. And the reason for it was 50,000 people. Um, it never thinned out. So I always had someone heel in front of me. So I never once ran in London where I got into any form of a stride. Every footstep was a different length to the one before because of the congestion. And as you said, you know, running around people. Then we had rain from start to finish. My pacing band um, is made out of paper that they gave us. So that kind of self-destructed in the rain. So then you had to do all the maths mentally. And then you had places like Canary Wharf with all the buildings. We lost our GPS signal for our watch. So one minute it's telling you you're on target. The next minute it's telling you you're running really fast. Then it's telling you you're running really slow. So by the time I got, you know, within a mile of the finish, I could have sped up and reached my target. But I wouldn't have done my group any favours because I would have lost them all and it would have been just a case of me going over the finish line ticking a box saying I achieved the Pacers job but I wouldn't have so it was better to you know maintain the even effort and okay I've dropped 16 seconds off the goal but it was you know we picked up a few seconds but it wasn't achievable to push them uh, beyond where I was The marathon route would typically have mile markers and then every five kilometre is marked. What would you tend to follow, the mile or the kilometre, or would you use both? Um, I'm old school. I run in miles still. My watch is still set up in miles. But I like what I would say to people running marathons all over the world, um, like a lot of people in London were asking, you know, is it, is it measured in kilometres? And, you know, like you said, yes, it's measured in both. But the race... The race is technically measured in miles, so it's 26.2 miles, and it denotes kilometres every 5k or something. But they will always say the miles are what is accurate. The 5k's, you know, you might miss one here or there, whereas you will get every mile mark. Yes, I suppose that makes it easier to break down and check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah, but you know, you can, you can always look at average pace on your watch, but you, you have to be aware that 
these things are only indications. Um, like you're looking at a mile mark, you know, the bigger marathons will be so clinical on their mile marks that they will be, you know, they'll be accurate down to the T. You'll go to um, you'll go to a smaller marathon, and next thing your watch beeps, and you're like, you can't see the mile mark, and then you get up the road, and there's a mile mark, and it's on a pole, and it's like, of course it is, because that was the closest pole. There was nothing. You else know, okay. it's, it's 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 something as easy as that. You know, they, they, if you're lucky, they might have sprayed a mark on the road that's accurate, and then the visual representation might be on the closest pole, which could be 200 meters up the road. So you have to be aware that that there could be discrepancy and there'll also be discrepancy because runners naturally tend not to follow the racing line. So you'll hear people go on about, you know, to get your fastest marathon, you have to run from A to B in a straight line. So you you run the fastest line. If you go to Boston or any of these big marathons, you'll see a blue line painted on the road. And that's where the that's where the course was measured, and that's the fastest line around the course. So you follow that line, you get twenty six point two miles, bang on. So the blue if line is it, the blue line is the racing line. Is the racing line? Um, if you run around a person, you may add a meter. If you do that a hundred times, you add a hundred meters. If you run wide on a corner. If you go to the opposite side of the road because there's a drink station on that side and the one on your side was a bit congested, they're all meters that you add. And then when you get to the end of the day and you cross the line and you suddenly say that your watch is saying that you did a longer course, that's where you made the extra meters. And, you know, it, it's, it's, we all do it. We all, we all add a, a few meters here and there. You know, the pacers will constantly add meters. Um, but while I might run a bit wide here and there, I'll always advise the runner to take more of the racing line. I don't need the racing line as much as the people that are with me, so I'll often go on their shoulder on the outside and tell them to go on the inside and direct them on the racing line. So you, if, can, you can expect to run longer. It's when you run shorter that the, the questions are asked. That means exactly. in inaccuracy. You can you 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 know you can, you can't run a shorter course. You can't make a twenty six point two shorter than what it is. If you've run shorter, the course has been measured wrong. It's as simple as that. You mentioned your watch there a moment ago. Do you have a, kind of a favourite screen that you would use during a marathon? Do I have a favourite watch? Sorry, a, a screen a, a data fields on your on your watch face that you would use. Yeah, I kind of I kind of set up with um. I kind of set up, it's a three-field screen, so it shows me the pace I'm running now, it shows me my average pace overall, it shows me my distance. So I get I get three key bits of information. Then every time I go to a mile, every time I see the mile mark coming up, I'll glance at the watch and I'll take the time reference and I'll look at my pacing band and the pacing band will tell you what time you should be at each one of these mile marks. So you can cross-reference a lot of data. Like one piece of information on its own is only an indication, but when you use them all together, you get a very accurate picture. Yes. I like to have uh, lap time, and I would typically measure each mile and just kind of hit the lap button and have a reset. 
to give mm-hmm. an idea. And then with a pacing band or maybe I, I would make up my own kind of pacing chart that I would have the 5K splits. But I like to be where I need to be at the areas where the chip mats are. One of them being, I think the might be one of the there might be one at, the, at each of the five k marks. So they're the kind of main markers for me, and especially at the the halfway mark. Now, if you were running the Dublin Marathon and you you do the section into the Phoenix Park, where there's kind of a long drag all the way up Chesterfield Avenue, and you let's say because of congestion. And then going through the Phoenix Park, you seem to be maybe 90 seconds behind your target time. How would you make up that 90 seconds? For like for a pacer, if they drop that much time, um, like there's sometimes you'll have people in your group and they'll turn around and they're on the ball. They'll tell you, we're 90 seconds down. And you say, yeah, I'm fully aware of that but you'll know the course and you'll know the sections. You'll know where it's going to roll downhill a little bit and you'll say, yeah, that's in the plan. I know I left you drop time because we had a bit of an incline back there and I knew I lost time on that and it was all in the plan. So, you know, usually the pacer will have that in their plan. If it's happened by accident, um, the pacer then has to go away and calculate in their head to bring them back over a series of miles you can't expect somebody that's joined your group that's hoping to run a personal best to now pull another 90 seconds out of the hat. So you, you bring it back gradually. How, um, how long one, would it... How lo- of, sorry, how long would it take to build back maybe a minute? It, all, it, all, it totally depends on the course. Right. Like you, you'll have some courses where you'll have some nice downhill sections and you know yourself when you're running downhill people will naturally, if you maintain the same effort, you can get a lot more out of the body downhill. So you tend to actually slow them down a tiny bit on the downhill, but you're you're slowing down. While they think they're slowing down, they're actually still gaining pace. But you're you're trying to you're trying to rein them back in that they don't go too fast on the downhill because Running uphill is hard. Running downhill fast is also hard. Why is that? While you while you may gain, you know, like you could tell someone, someone could go in with the, the philosophy that they're going to sprint all the downhills because they'll make so much time. And what's wrong and with again, that? Why, why, again, why would you, you not do that? You bring the effort in your body up so much by accelerating and you bring the heat up in your body. Now, if you can't dissipate the heat or if you get uncomfortably hot, you can't perform. So running is all about self-control. Like the guys at the front, they've worked their socks off. They've, they've, they've run at such pace and they've, their body is so used to the temperatures their body is generating and they can deal with it. For someone back in the middle of the field... You don't want to be spiking your temperature by running, by accelerating hugely uh, on a downhill or putting so much effort in on an uphill. You don't want this spike where you're suddenly you're putting your temperature very high and then you're trying to bring it back down. Um, are you throwing water over your head? Are you wetting your shorts? You know, things like that are nice and they give you a sense of relief, but are they quite short-lived? And... Will they give you irritation 
Are you now going to have like wet kit on you that's going to bother you mentally? Um, will it give you friction issues? So these are all things that can come into just the fact that you've kind of overcooked the downhill or overcooked the uphill. Is there an advantage with uh, being selective with the clothing you wear in that case? Say a singlet um, versus a t-shirt. Yeah, like the mod, the modern clothing is all designed to wick the sweat away, and even if you do pour water over, it tends to dry a lot quicker and doesn't give you the friction issues. You know, seeing somebody um, that's out for their first marathon that went away and they bought their runners inside and you know, a department store as opposed to a sports shop. You know, they, they only paid a few quid for them and they, they picked up a cotton pair of socks. Um, you know, they they don't have the right kit. Um, you know, those, those shoes might be perfect for, you know, home for a walk with your mates, but they weren't really designed to run a marathon. You know, you want to go into a proper sports shop and get advice for a shoe that's right for you. We're all different and the shoes are all different. What fits one person doesn't fit another. You know, some people have wider feet, some people have narrower feet, some people prefer a different style of shoe. Um, so these are all things your local sports shop can really help you with. And during the race, you mentioned uh, the uh, water stations. How would you deal with a water station? Do you have your own strategy for passing through one? Um, I suppose... The fact that I'm an ultra runner and that I've done all these really long distance races, I suppose I'm able to bring a lot of that back into the marathon. Um, I wear a running band, so it's about six inches thick that goes around your waist. You just step into it, pull it up, and it has three stretchy pockets. So when I pace a marathon, in one of the pockets, I have my pacing chart that I make out. Instead of wearing it around my wrist, I now print a very large version um, because I've started wearing glasses, so it helps. I laminate it, and I have that in my pack. And then I have a flexible water bottle that I put Tailwind in. So, like, Tailwind is one of your brands of uh, powders that you put in with water. And basically what it's giving you is a little bit of salt, a little bit of minerals, and it's giving you carbohydrates. So it's giving you food for your body. So it's like somebody going to a water station and taking the leucosate they're getting an energy drink. So when you go to your water station, you get your energy drink. If you drink an awful lot of it, you are going to give yourself a bit of problems. So I'll have a full bottle at the start of the marathon and that will do me pretty much for the marathon and I'll just sip away as I need it. Um, So, you know, it is, while there will be an awful lot of water stations on the course, I would say to people, you know, pick up a bottle um, you know, carry it for a while. There's nothing to say that you just have to take a mouthful there and drop your bottle. You know, when you think of how many bottles people just take one mouthful out of, and I've seen people take a bottle from the start of the table, take a mouthful and drop it, and then they take a bottle by the time they're at the last table in the same water station. You know, there's, there's nothing saying you can't carry this bottle for a while, and you just be responsible where you drop it. You know, carry it to the next mile marker, drop it at the mile marker because somebody will be out to take down that mile marker and they'll pick it up. So you just be responsible where you leave it or you get a belt like I described and you put your bottle into the belt and you can sip away for a long period of time. So what you don't want people to do in your pace group is go over and absolutely, you know, they feel they're very dehydrated and they just drink buckets of water very quickly. 
then their stomach is going to start getting a bit heavy and sloshing around and it's going to lead to, you know, um, stomach issues. They're going to feel sick. Some people may even vomit. Um, so, you, you know, sipping a little and often is a far better strategy than taking a loss in a very short period of time. I'm going to take this opportunity now just to echo what you've said there. There's an awful lot of wastage at these kind of events and for anybody who's passing through an aid station, please be mindful of, of littering. I have seen people discard bottles by throwing them into someone's garden. I was in Chapel Lizard one time and I seen someone throw a bottle over the wall and into the Liffey. I called them out on it, but they, they were gone and me shouting after them wasn't going to get, get the bottle back. As you said, discard it at least do it at one of the mile markers where you know they're going to, there will be somebody uh, collecting the markers back. But if you can, just hold it and bring it to the next aid station where there will be bins and skips available. When discarding a water bottle, I would tend to maybe squeeze the water over it, leave the bottle low, leave, leave the cap on the bottle, but make sure it's open. So if it landed on the ground and somebody was to stand on it, it will crush rather than be something that will actually cause them to to uh, maybe twist their ankle on it so be really really careful and the same with with gel wrappers and banana skins be mindful of where you actually uh, dispose of them when you said that you were carrying a belt with you why would you carry that belt when there is stuff available out on the course I suppose for me, I've got so reliant in running these long events where I'm kind of have to be self-reliant and self-crewing. So you get used to you get used to the different products. And for me, I've been using Tailwind. I know that's just one brand out there, and I'm not saying it's better than any other. It's just the one that I got used to. So I think you know you'll see a lot of people, and they will carry gels. And you'll say, you know, why are you carrying gels if there's gels available? It's because it's what they've become used to. So you'd like to say to people, don't try something new in the lead up to a marathon. Well, you certainly don't want them trying something new in the marathon. If you're not, if you're not used to drinking what's provided on the course and you're used to a different drink, why don't you bring it with you? You know, if you're fortunate enough that you have people supporting you, there's no reason why they can't have a bottle made up. You know, it can be in a kid's plastic water bottle or it can be in a sports bottle and they can hand it to you somewhere on the course that's a great answer and i'm glad i asked it now in my case i'll because i'll be familiar with dublin and i know to give out luke's aid that's what i tend to use so i would try that in training if i was doing the london marathon which i have also paced they give out lucas aid so i'm used to that and i would also try and use the gels that are going to be available out in the course but the answer that you give there that had actually slipped my mind. I was for just forgetting what you had just said, and it's a really, really important point. I did a marathon many years ago with a friend of mine. They had it was the high five gels. He he, I don't think he'd even tried the gel before. He was one of these guys always complaining about the price, but he took a gel because we were giving them out for free. It's like you now the free bar. He took the gel, and it did make him sick, like what you just explained there, and he had a really, really bad experience. And that almost finished him in the race. So just to reiterate, if you know what's available on the course and you're not familiar with it, it might be advisable to bring whatever you think you need. 
it's better to be looking at it rather than looking for it if you're at the expo and the gel that's going to be available out on the course is there at the expo mightn't be a bad idea to actually buy one or two and just give them a taste to see see what you think of them and yeah, you know, totally. E- even flavour can be an issue, can't it? And and we experienced that a lot when doing the twenty four hour races. Even stuff that that you're used to taking, over time, eventually, it, it is going to cause you problems. And yeah, getting when you, when you getting try, sick when you is an issue. Gel, when you try a gel, say at the expo, and you're you're just there walking around, it's not the same effect on your body when you've loaded your body and you're running X amount of miles and, you know, the heat is up and everything, your your body, your stomach performs differently because you have to remember when you're running, we're telling our body we want to run. So the blood in our body is in our muscles, in our legs predominantly, and it goes up to the heart and the heart pumps it pretty much back to the legs. Obviously, it's going to the organs in the head, but we're, we're, we're looking at blood to the heart and blood back to the legs. So when you put something in your stomach when you're running in a marathon, we don't have a lot of blood going into the stomach for the digestion. So that's why you tell people to try it when you're running because it's a completely different feeling and scenario for your body to try process something. Like I remember the, the first time I was training for a long, a long ultra event, I was on a treadmill at home and I was taking bites of banana running at various speeds at various intervals in, you know, I do a 10 mile run and I'd be trying to eat a banana at a certain, at a certain pace to see, could I do it or could I train myself to do it? So again, that, that goes back to, to marathon running. Like, um, before any of these gels were available, you had people and they were trying things like they'd make, they'd make a, a flask of tea and they'd have friends and they'd hand them a bottle of tea because that's what they knew. Like, tea wasn't the best thing to give someone because it's actually a diuretic and make you go to the toilet but back then that's that's what they were used to so it was comforting so the important thing is what you're used to so if you're not used to it practice with it if you do if you're one of the people that find gels really difficult all the time you can always you know make up a few bottles if you've someone on the course and you just squeeze the gel into the bottle of water and you drink it diluted. So you're still getting the gel in, you're still getting the, the carbohydrate, the energy for your muscles, but you're getting it in a watered-down version that's easier to digest. And would you mention the, the flask of tea there? What, what they weren't realising at that time was it, it wasn't the tea that was doing the trick, it was the sugar in the tea. And that yeah. is basically what a sports drink is now. It's yeah. a sugary it drink with a bit of flavour. It was the forerunner to yeah, the exactly. sports drinks. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, I just want to recap on some of the stuff that you have you have said there. We're looking at even splits throughout the race. The race is measured in miles, so that's a good idea to keep an eye on the mile markers. We have a chip mat every 5K, and that's what feeds back to the tracker. So it is a good idea to look at the your splits at 5K because I think that should be fairly exact. They're not looking for a pole to put a sign on any part of the road the timing map can be put down on don't start too quickly don't try anything new on race day if you lose a bit of time you don't try and make it up in a big block especially on the downhill because the downhill itself is going to take a lot of effort 
be cautious going through the aid stations. Don't don't be littering. Don't try anything new on race day, as you just said there. Have you anything yeah. else to kind of add to that list before I move on to what your race day strategy might be? Get, getting to the start one, Kind of one important thing as well is if this is your first marathon and, you know, like for some, like for some people, they'll go out and they'll run their first marathon and they'll run a phenomenal time. But these people are people that have been running, you know, for years in different different events. They've mastered 10K, they've mastered half marathon, and now they're just basically stepping up to a longer distance. But if, if it's your first time going into the marathon, and this is a huge, huge um, personal goal of yours, don't get so caught up with the time. You want to you want to go in and you want to enjoy it. You want to get to the finish line. You want to get that medal, the T-shirt, and you want to celebrate with your friends afterwards. And then you can look back and you can see what went well for you, where you can improve, and then you can make a plan for your second marathon and you can target a big time for yourself because you'll know what you're capable of achieving and you'll be able to put a realistic goal that you can work towards. Some people go out in their first marathon and they put unrealistic goals in front of them. And if you do that, you can have a very negative experience for your whole event and you can get to the finish line and be very upset even though you finished your first marathon, something that you know not a lot, not a lot of people actually do. So above all, you need to have a positive experience and it should be a positive experience. For the first race, you should be looking for an enjoyable time. Oh, completely. You're probably not the best person to ask for a race day strategy, as in a getting to the start line strategy, because you tend to come up on the morning of the race, or you kind of, you minimise the, the time that that it takes to actually do it. If, if What would you advise, if you were coaching somebody for the first marathon, what, what advice would you give them if they were travelling up from Cork to do the Dublin Marathon, I don't think you'd be telling them to get the bus up that morning or drive up that morning. No, no. Um, like if you if you want to do if you want to give it your best, you know, there's simple things. You start with the kit. We kind of briefly discussed that. So you you get the kit that suits you. You lay it out. Like I would lay out my kit the night before. I would pin the number on. I would try it on. Like a simple thing like pinning the number on. You want to make sure that the safety pins aren't going to be resting on your nipples. You know, it sounds it sounds such a simple thing, but if you just pin the number on and don't put that T-shirt on or that singlet on till race morning, and then suddenly it's on your nipples and you're running, you know, that can be a huge irritation. Um, when you tie your laces, double tie them. And I also tuck the bows in under the bottom of the laces. So that it keeps them stable, that they're not flopping about, so they're not going to work loose. Can I just pause you there uh, for a sec and make yeah. sure that your laces aren't too tight? It has happened to me before that I tied my laces too tight, didn't realise it until I started running. It wasn't a big deal, but by the end of the race, it was a big deal. My feet started yeah. to swell up and I got a lot of pain in my instep and it took a few days before that actually subsided. Don't have them too tight. Yeah. Back to you, Alex. Um, simple things like if you need a little bit of Vaseline for friction, you know, in around the groin or anywhere, or some people might get a bit of rubbing under their arm. 
Um, so if these are things you're prone to, make sure that you have that with you to put on at the start line. Um, I will prepare, if I have to travel to a marathon, if I'm driving an hour or two to the start of a marathon, I will I will either make overnight oats um, or I will literally bring, you know, one of those porridge pots you can buy in a supermarket that you just add hot water and I will bring a flask of water and I will I will have that, you know, possibly two hours before the marathon. So if, if it's a case that I'm in the car driving somewhere, I will literally pull over and open the flask and make it and then have it quickly and drive on. So I'll, I'll have it two hours beforehand and then you know coming up to the start line I might have a nibble on a banana but very little so you get this routine in place um, bring something warm with you to the start we're all going to we're all going to get warm when we run and we generate heat so I, I was out today um, I did a half marathon just training run it was about 12 degrees in Cork I was just getting away with, you know, kind of wearing shorts and T-shirt, doing kind of a slow enough run. Um, race day, you know, if it was down to eight degrees, shorts and singlet would be fine because you generate so much heat at that, you know, if you're up around the three-hour pace, depending on your pace. So wear, wear something appropriate to conditions. Watch the weather. If it's going to be cold and you're going to be standing on the start line for quite a while, you know those little plastic ponchos they give out at festivals and yes. you can buy them in different places? I have a few of them stacked at home. I'd often bring one of them if it rains. It just keeps the rain off me, keeps the wind off me. You know, it's a tiny bit of plastic that you can dispose of at the start of the line. And a black sack will do the same thing if you... Exactly. Could yeah, have like we've, we've, over the years, we've uh, we've joked and we've put uh, certain sports brands on uh, black bin bags and uh, had a laugh. I've even shared a black bin bag with another runner because he had one and I didn't. <laughs> and I literally said, can I hop in? <laughs> so we two heads coming out the top of it. Um, but yeah, anything to keep warm. Is there anything else to, to add to this now? I think there's quite a no, lot no, there keeping, now. Keeping warm, keeping warm at the start is yeah. critical. It's, um, like if, you, if you talk to many runners... Like personally, I don't mind getting wet in a race. I don't mind a race being cold. But what I do mind is standing around a start line yes. getting cold. Um, I suppose, you know, a lot of runners, they're they're a bit leaner. Uh, they mightn't have huge body fat to keep them warm. And they, they'll get cold quite quick. If you're starting a race after getting very cold, your, your body has to work to warm up and it just becomes that bit more difficult for the muscles to get into gear and for you to get your, your rhythm. And it's just a bit off-putting. So, yeah, it's key to keep warm. Yeah, you don't want to be too uncomfortable at the start. Like That that can make a bit of a difference. If, if you are if you are starting to get cold, your body you will start to shiver. And if you start to shiver, the muscle will start to tense up and the initial start of the race will be that bit harder. So your perceived effort will be off the scale. You won't really know what you're doing. It's going to be harder to pace yourself. Plus your heart heart rate might be that bit elevated as well if you're using a heart rate monitor. So you have the adrenaline coupled with the cold temperature. That's making your heart beat faster to try and pump the blood around the body. And everything will be kind of thrown askew until you actually start running, get a bit warmed up. And things start to pan out, but by 
by that stage, some of the damage might have been done, and you're having to I suppose recalibrate yourself as you're running. And one thing I'd say as well, like a lot of people, like we all do it, you know, we finish a race and we might go away and we might record the time in our records. You have to remember the time is only one part of the information from that race. So, you know, you might write down the time of a race, you might write down that it was hot, you might write down that it was cold, you might write down that it was a wet race, you might write down the race at a lot of elevation, um, you might write down that, you know, you went into it feeling under the weather, that you, you were coming off an infection or you were a bit sick. Um, these are all factors that affect your time. So, you know, there's there's times where um, I might put um, a pulse monitor on my finger, um, like in the fire station, we'd have access to all these and you'd be testing it from time to time. You'd put it on and sometimes I'd notice out of the blue that my pulse is a lot higher than it should be. And the reason is because your body's fighting something, you have a bit of a cold and your your body's working harder. If you go training in that environment, you look at your watch and you kind of say, God, I'm not really hitting the pace today. I'm feeling a bit sluggish and, you know, I'm 20 seconds off my training pace and it's feeling a bit hard work. And so you have to remember when things aren't going right for yourself, there can be answers. Um, it mightn't be that the training let you, you know, it mightn't be, that you didn't do enough training, it might simply be, you know, you have a bit of a cold or there's all these bugs going around at the moment. A lot of people with various respiratory issues um, as as we're dropping into the cold weather and we've had a really hot month so far. So these are things to be mindful as well. If you're not 100%, it's a little harder to push the body to get into that zone to achieve your best. Yes, definitely. And for someone out there who's taken part in the marathon, if you find that you're hitting a low point during the race that you're starting to suffer a bit more than, than you're used to I'd say before you think of giving in slow it down ease the pace back and sometimes oh, that can be okay, that can be enough because the, you know there are times uh, when people actually stop and then all of a sudden they know that they could keep going or if somebody nearly collapses over the finish line and moments later they're you know back to normal that's you know so slow it down rather than than just quitting i'd say yeah like i i paced a marathon this year in longford a uh, three-hour pace and um you know we had a brilliant group and obviously the group gets smaller and smaller as you go through throughout the marathon and as we were kind of you know in the last five six miles there was one or two falling off the back of the marathon um off our group and You'd encourage them. You tell them, you know, keep watching the flag. If you can see the flag, you can you can catch us. And once you can see my flag in, in the distance at the finish line, you can still achieve the goal. And you give them every bit of encouragement. And I knew that this guy was really working his socks off. And he fell off and he fell out of sight. And as we were getting to the finish line, that guy came up and passed me. So he went through a big dip at about six miles, personally and mentally. And his pace fell off. And at some point as he got towards the end, he he got a lift and he passed us. And, you know, as a pacer, it's it's a brilliant feeling to see someone that you've worked with throughout the marathon fall off and come back to get their role. So, you know, if it happens to you earlier in the marathon and you fall off, you have to remember there's lots of pacers. There's other pacing groups. There will be people in the race that you you may encounter somebody of your ability 
and you might end up pacing off them and vice versa. There's times where you kind of help their race and there's times they'll help your race. And so, big, you know, the, yeah, and in a big city marathon, you're, you're always going to have company. You'll have somebody to share the misery. Completely. Um, don't get don't get overexcited. Like, you know, Dublin has huge support and there, there are these sections of the course where, you know, you'll get phenomenal support. If you're with a pacer, the pacer won't be affected by that. They'll run their pace. If you're not with a pacer, you will get a surge of adrenaline will release into your body when you get huge support and you go quicker. Like when I was in London and we were running down by the Cuddy Sark, you know, it's amazing scenery and there was amazing support and you have the ship to look at. Every single person in my group started running past me. They all just elevated. And I said, slow down. You're not on pace. Come back to me. You know, look at your watch. You're all getting excited. You're getting carried away in the moment. And it's too early in the race to do that. So, again, the pacer can help you with that. Um, a lot of people will say, the Martins really need pacers. And a lot of the time you'll see the pacers come over the finish line and they won't have that many people with them. But you have to remember their work was done out on the courts. They got people, there's people that will have passed them and achieved more than their time. There's people that would have fell off the back and there's people that will finish with them. So the, the snapshot of them crossing the line and in some smaller marathons you'll just see the pacers crossing on their own. You have to remember the work they did for the people is back on the course. So if you're planning on doing the Dublin Marathon, find the pacer that matches the race you've trained for, run the mile that you're in, and when you go to the Dublin Marathon Expo, if in doubt, maybe call over to the pacer stands. They have pacing bands that are useful to have around your wrist if you do fall off the back of the pacing group that you'll still have an idea of what you're doing how to do it you can always have a plan b a plan c a plan d and fall back to the next pacing group who will still help you out along the way and before you know it, you'll be over the finish line so go along to the pacing stand at the dublin marathon expo chat to the guys there and i'm sure they'll answer any other questions that you might have and they might help to settle your nerves that little bit Oh, definitely. They they love talking about running. Yeah, big bunch of nerds. Well, Alex, <laughs> thanks very much, Alex. That was very useful and insightful. And you helped remind me of a, of a lot of stuff that I was forgetting. And it, it's always good. Yeah, it, that, that is going to help. Like it's, it's very hard to do something like this on your own because you're trying to think of what do you think you should be saying. But it's fresher in your mind because you, you're still pacing marathon so you you know what's actually happening out there and you're more familiar with the courses so I'd be trying to go from memory more so where you're actually out there doing it so thanks again and I said we'll, we'll have another chat to focus a bit more on some of the other stuff that is in some ways relative to the pacing because pacing is what you do all the times in these races so if anybody's listening into this podcast and has got some useful advice from it you might consider leaving a review on spotify or wherever you listen pass it on to a friend and until next time thanks